good Reformation Day morning. Today is Monday, October 31st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who have been coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and your loved ones that they too can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AM850 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, or through any podcasting app. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online checking out the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, send me an email to ask a question, make a comment, just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because as I've said, you too are a part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, our text for this morning is Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through the end of 12. That's 12, 13. That completes the book of Daniel for us over the past few weeks Have we've been covering it. It's been amazing. So this Reformation Day episode, it's also All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. It brings us to what some people might consider a spooky topic, the Antichrist and the time of the end. Well, as we finish up chapter 11 and we move into this last chapter, the vision reveals that there will be an increase in lawlessness as the end draws near, religious tyranny, mistreatment of God's people. But God gives Daniel and us hope in the midst of it all. With me today to help us begin to uh, finish up all of this great stuff is my guest, the Reverend Paul Kane, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Sheridan, Wyoming. Pastor Kane, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, and howdy from Wyoming. Yeah, I've, I've never been to Wyoming. Um, I've been to about 35 states, but never Wyoming. Uh, here at the end of October, how's the weather out there? I know it's chilly for us here in Minnesota. It's definitely fall. Uh, light jacket is handy for walking out the door in the morning and in the evening. It gets dark. A lot sooner than we're used to. And then, of course, daylight savings time coming up. We haven't had a hard freeze. So one of the most pleasant parts of the weather is to drive around the mountains, hike around the mountains, and see the beautiful fall colors. Even right next to the parsonage, I've got three beautifully differently colored trees. One almost red and sort of orange and yellow leaves in addition to the evergreens. It's a great time to be out here. Oh, wow. We've we've lost most of the leaves on our trees already, and we're like at eight, nine degrees. So, yep, definitely a different difference between us and you guys. But um, tell me about your congregation. Um, how are uh, things at Emmanuel? What is God doing through you guys? We've been very blessed. We have uh, two pastors, myself and the Reverend Rene uh, Castellero. He's been with us uh, five and a half years, and since May has been the headmaster of Martin Luther Grammar School and Emanuel Academy. We're blessed with a classical Lutheran school that was founded for our congregation's centennial in 2003. 
the congregation was organized a bit before um, 1903. We had what we call the cowboy preacher, and he was rounding up the Lutherans who spoke German and the Lutherans who spoke English. Uh, we've been at our present location since the late 1950s, right across from the hospital. We've uh, been blessed with great musicians and very active lay people, men's groups and women's groups. And folks seem to be moving to Sheridan, Wyoming uh, since COVID and its response. So we've been welcoming some new friends alongside our old friends in Christ. Lots of folks looking for some of those uh, more uh, freedom-focused states, I assume. Yeah, that that would be fair. And it's a beautiful place to be because of the mountains. It's a neat place to be culturally with the cowboys and the rodeo. We're only 20 minutes from Montana. You can cross the border and drive for, well, half a day and still be in Montana and check out... Um, Yellowstone and Teton Park in Wyoming, in addition to our our local scenery, too. Wow, that sounds great. What a wonderful place to be doing God's work. Today, we're going to be digging into, uh, well, some not some unusual uh, apocalyptic stuff. Of course, we've been doing that for uh, about a week now in Daniel, but it just continues. But we're going to finish it up today. I think we'll find at the end that God wins and there's where the hope lies. But before we dig into the text, Pastor Kane, would you mind starting us off with some prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and deliver us in times of temptation. Defend us against all enemies and grant to your church your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we have quite a few verses to get through today, and we're starting what seemingly is in the middle of chapter 11. And we talked about this a little bit on Friday, why we did that. But um, because this unique break Maybe you'd like to catch us up to what's been going on before we head into our new verses. Sure. I'll be brief, and you can ask follow-up questions if you'd like. Since chapter 8, the book of Daniel's been back in the Hebrew language. Very significant portions are in a related language, Aramaic. Uh, think of the similarities between German and English, and you'll get a little bit of that idea. Since the beginning of chapter 10, we've been in a vision, Daniel's vision of a divine man. And he's been talking about lots of different confusing things with a lot of detail. But essentially, this messenger of the Lord is revealing to the prophet Daniel wars and rumors of wars, coming conflicts between the big powers of world history in the time of Daniel and in the succeeding centuries, if you will, between Persia and Greece, Egypt and Syria. And then this all culminates in right where we begin today with 36, 
um, we've been talking about a ruler, a successor to uh, Alexander the Great, who's part of the Seleucid line. That's a thing that could be discussed for a long time. He's a king. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he brings all of this war, all of this stuff to Jerusalem and devastates the city and sets up an altar to the pagan god Zeus right there in the temple. And where do we go from here? Well, 36 through the end. <laughs> yes, the verse right before we begin our text um, concludes with, all of this until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So we have this transitional statement that what follows next is a new king, somebody different, someone in the future. Um, of course, all of this is the future for Daniel, which just makes it all that more. I mean, perhaps we shouldn't be amazed by the accuracy of God's word. It is God's word after all. But, you know, there's still part of us that just love the fact that the things that he testifies to uh, find their fulfillment in history. So we look back and we go, wow, just just imagine what Daniel experienced as he's at the end of his life. He's probably not making it back to uh, out of exile despite because of his age and other things. And he's seeing the end, but he's seeing all these things. And, and now we're in this position to look back and go, wow, these things took place. Again, we shouldn't be surprised. But there's part of us that I guess there is kind of. And what happens next is he describes for us a king who uh, is uh, kind of, uh, well, a different king than what he's been describing before. Uh, Pastor, yeah. if it's all right with you, I'd like to read the uh, the next, just a few, I'm just, let's get started with just a few verses, 36 through 39. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of the fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price." Lots of verses to get through, and we're only starting with a few. But in these few, I uh, guess, four verses, brother, there's a ton of stuff, isn't there? There is. We meet a ruler, a king, who is a guy who's religious. He's connected to religious things, uh, rather more so than the plunder, the captivity, the sword, and the flame of the previous paragraph from the end of last week. He's building on the foundation of that one conqueror, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and he sets himself up in opposition to God and the people of God. 
and we can see this from the details that show up here. He's like Antiochus Epiphanes, exalting himself, magnifying himself above every god, and is especially disrespectful and blasphemous against the one true God, the God of gods. And this is very, very bothersome. When someone does such a thing contrary to the first commandment, I love to explain the first commandment saying, read your Old Testament more. And if you want to understand the Old Testament better, read about the, lar read about the first commandment more, especially in Luther's large catechism. Um, you end up with a figure who's imitating a lot of things of the fellow we've been reading about for quite a while now, but he's causing international trouble, if you will, by manipulating things from um, the point of view of religion. He pays no attention to the gods of his fathers, and then in a phrase that's a bit of a challenge to translate, uh, one beloved by women, the desire of women, he's disrespectful to women, he's suppressing natural affection that leads to marriage, he's apparently devoid of normal human sensibilities, and it's no great leap to see why the Lutheran reformers, since we are talking on Reformation Day, why the Lutheran reformers refer to this part of Daniel, chapters 11 and 12, quite a few times in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. They talk about Daniel 11, including one verse from last time, five times, and twice refer to chapter 12. It's all in sections that critique what the Roman Church of the day had been doing with its teaching and its practice. And here we find great overlap with the concept of one opposed to the pure teaching and practice of Christ, and there's the word, Antichrist. Let's talk about that for a little minute, because if we go back to 36, he says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. One of the reasons why commentators will say that a new king is in mind here, this is not just a continuation of the king we were talking about on Friday, is that even the phrase the king is really unused for a particular king. He would have been referred to in a way that designates who he is. And so this is some future enigmatic king or ruler, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and speak astonishing things against the god of all gods. So, yeah, as we think about different rulers and kings, they do this. But in the, in the time of Luther, the reformers, by that time, I should say, the Roman church had really set itself up, and the pope in particular, as uh, having the only access to God and his word and his teaching. The only people who were permitted to interpret the scriptures was the ministerium, right? And even having access to the Bible in your own language was forbidden. I've been teaching a class here at my congregation about how we got the Bible and we moved from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament now. And it was it's stark in contrast to how, well, there was a time at which the church was very concerned leading up to the Council of Nicaea that people had the right Bible in their hands, had the had the canon, had a proper list of what was uh, considered scripture by all the Christians. And then it, by the time of the Reformation, they were very uh, keen on making sure the Bible was not accessible by most people. So we can see here the speaking astonishing things. I guess that's like making decrees uh, or, or edicts or shall I say papal bulls that would make decisions that went against or supplemented scripture. And that is a real threat when anyone's teaching is put over or on par equal to scripture. It's spiritually dangerous because we're no longer heeding alone the word of Christ. And St. Peter in Acts specifically reminds everyone within earshot, we must obey God rather than men. The uh, pastors and people of Magdeburg in 1550 resisted the emperor and supported their own local ruler in resisting the emperor because it was dangerous when the state commanded what God forbade and forbade what God commanded. So we must obey God rather than men, even if it's somebody within the church. And we, and we see here from Daniel that this, who he's foreseeing, will come from the church. This isn't an outsider who's attacking the church. Um, yeah. I know that the... In the 90s, when I was uh, a kid, you would see these Discovery Channel specials on the Antichrist. They still have them. But I remember specifically in the 90s, um, alongside the Nostradamus specials and everything else, they would uh, like to connect the Antichrist to the, uh, to the UN. And they'd have pictures of all these blue helmeted men and this mysterious leader leading the UN against the, against the world. But that's not how the Bible describes the Antichrist. It describes him as someone within the church, uh, usurping this power and authority for himself. Isn't that not right? That's right. It Such shows, I remember seeing them too, and even some late night TV preachers mm. who would talk about Russia and China and all of the other stuff. Um, it's getting way too specific and isn't as closely reading the scriptures as they think they're doing. Um, I remember NBC once had a, a similar show. They were trying to cash in on the popularity of the History Channel and Discovery Channel and, and all of these um, Christianity doubting and questioning programs. They had one on the Ark of the Covenant, and within the first six minutes, if you were paying attention to the show with your Bible, you knew that they stopped writing, reading the Bible at a certain part and just went off on their own tangent. That's really what some of these folks do. I tell people, run away as fast as you can and never, ever go back. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I, I'm a glutton for punishment because I watch these things and I <laughs> yell at the TV. But, um, but, you know, actually, it's probably good for pastors to watch these things because some parishioners are are um, captivated by them. They're usually put on very well, nice production values, but they don't speak the truth. Right. Now, speaking of not speaking the truth, you know, back to the Reformation association of the uh, Antichrist with the office of the papacy, especially with what was going on during their time. 
I, I never thought about this before until I read about it. And in, in chapter 30, or sorry, verse 37, you brought this up. It's difficult to translate that he shall pay no attention to the God of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. But really, it's it's very possible that that's about the like the natural love or desire of women. And I read somewhere that that was connected, at least the, the reformers connected that to the church's prohibition on priests marrying. Now, I don't know if they're going a little too far or what, but I, I think that's correct. I believe it's correct, too. When uh, delegates, deputies from Rome came to Germany well before the Reformation, some 300 years, if memory serves, and told the priests, the pastors there, that they could no longer be married and had to put their wives away, there was almost a lynching of the guys bringing this mandate from Rome. This isn't just um, contradicting common sense, but also husband of one wife, man of one woman, in the original call document um, description of a pastor in First Timothy. Right. Yeah, I, you know, and I think scripture there. Yeah, and I don't want to push the point too far, but with the recent scandals with those who are under this abuse of not being able to marry, I think are at least somewhat tangentially connected, because we see a lot of a sinful behavior that comes from the inability to have a proper place for uh, for what what does can take what can take place in the marriage. Truly, and there has have been sadly similar scandals for a thousand years whenever there has been this experimental um oh it's holier to not be married than to marry and it completely misunderstands vocation think about what we know from the small catechism every section of the six chief parts except for one uses very similar language as the head of the household should teach it in a simple way to his family. And head of household includes that baptized Christian man who may be married, who may be a father with children, and that's natural. This is how pastor families used to be. We could even go back as far as the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus goes over to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. There's one way to get a mother-in-law, <laughs> right. and that's to get married. I once did a nursing home Bible class in a small town in Nebraska, and we used a very large print version of the Bible, a translation everybody was acceptable with, and I said, let's have a couple of ground rules since we're from all kinds of different backgrounds, but you've asked me to lead this. Let's stick with what the text said. And that was very eye-opening. That, yeah. that text about a mother-in-law for the man claimed as the first pope. Um, the discussions were never the same. Yeah, little do they know that that's how we do Bible studies all the time, just letting the authority of the text wash over us. Yeah, and, and, and that's what's being said here, right? Someone who's speaking things against the God of gods, which is the one right. true God. And, and strikingly, too, in verse 38, he shall honor the God of fortresses instead of you know the true God or the traditions of the fathers. 
that he'll honor them with gold and silver, precious stones and costly gifts. Um, we see here this idea that I guess he's relying on on temporal power. He is relying on temporal power. And there's also this honor, this worship with gold and silver that is called out by Melanchthon in the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. Not only do you have the Antichrist making himself out to be God by usurping God's authority, not only does he rule in the church, but he changes teaching established by Christ and introduces forms of worship that contradict the gospel. All of the ceremony can be very beautiful, but unfortunately, buildings and some of the fancy stuff have the possibility of becoming idols in and of themselves. And those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Um, again, if you know anything about the history of the church uh, and how it operated, especially in medieval times, then you see the connections here. We have teenage uh, bishops and we have <laughs> or, you know, people who are being elected to these positions for political reasons and, and the wealth that comes with it. And that's very sad. Uh, we've experienced something similar in America with the televangelist scandals of the 80s, of the 90s, uh, different teachers having troubles in the 2000s as well. A lot of it is connected with having no accountability to any other structure. So they end up having a cult of personality, if you will, and virtually unlimited resources, but nobody serving as a check and balance to them. You brought up earlier, and I'm glad you brought this up, you know, the idea that um, these things were connected to the papacy. I guess it bears, you know, mentioning that this isn't particular popes or saying that all Roman Catholics are uh, worshipers or, or sinners or, or beholden to the Antichrist, uh, but rather what was going on at this time was certainly nearly one-to-one -one in a lot of ways indicative of what Daniel here is foretelling, what God's vision to Daniel is. But the Antichrist or Antichrists, you know, do we get it wrong when we think, okay, it's with the Pope, it's the Pope, that or the pap office of the papacy, I should say more accurately, and and that's it. So now we don't have to worry about it. Is not the spirit of the Antichrist so active today in the ways that you just said, but also with the attack on the family, which we also noted. Indeed, one of the the Roman apologetics against the Lutherans was that if we're reading the scriptures, then you've got all kinds of little popes. If someone is reading the scriptures and insisting on their own things, as opposed to what the text actually says, then there's a little validity to that. I see uh, a lot of false teachers around, and it's not exactly fair to call the leader of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a minor league antichrist, because in order to be antichrist, you have to be in the church. And they have excluded themselves by their teaching and practice so far from biblical Christianity. Um, yet, because of some of the trappings, it can lead some people astray. By identifying um, a false teacher, 
we are doing what St. Paul and others do in Holy Scripture. Jesus himself, St. John, in warning us about one opposed to Christ. But identifying false teaching and false teachers is intended as a constructive criticism and is a way to show Christian love and concern for people who have their ears itched by a false teacher that says something that they like or they're used to. Um, we need to speak out against those who would be under political tyranny as well as spiritual tyranny. Our confessions, our confessors, our pastors and lay people today are concerned about the abuses that oppressed people as the ruler in the previous paragraph did and how this new ruler in 36 and following um, was abusing people today, spiritually. So Luther and the reformers, Philip Melanchthon and others, Calvin even, their uh, attack, so to speak, on the papacy as being you know, the fulfillment of the Antichrist is really not an attack on the person or even the office so much as it is a uh, an argument that there needs to be change, right? resist, repent, which is the purpose of calling people to repentance. It feels bad. It, it kills. But of course, the gospel makes alive. We recall that on Reformation Day, which we celebrate today, you know, Luther dedicated the 95 Theses to Pope Leo X. It didn't occur to him, uh, or at least not greatly, that these things, uh, sort of that the, that the rotten was going all the way up to the top. So anyway, we're going to keep this discussion going, but right now we have to pause and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Kane and I will continue our discussion of Daniel chapters 11 and 12. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches? where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors. What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Paul Kane, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Sheridan, Wyoming. So, Pastor, before the break, we were, you know, talking about the connection of this prophecy or foretelling of the Antichrist, how the Reformers saw in the office of the papacy the fulfillment of this, but it's not ultimately fulfilled. These things continue today. Uh, anything else that you'd like to clarify or, or talk about before I read the next part of the chapter? I think as we listen to the next uh, paragraph in the chapter, it's helpful to me to think about there are consequences to the actions of this king who is primarily a religious leader. There are geopolitical consequences to what the Roman pontiff does, no matter who he is or where he's from even, even today. 
You may even have a, a Christian in the office, but to borrow a non-biblical phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We'll be reading verses 40 through 45. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, that he shall come to his end with none to help him. So there we have with verse 45, only 13 verses left in the whole book of Daniel with chapter 12, but this ends this part of chapter 11, and yeah, he shall come to his end with none to help him. Pastor. He's isolated, and by trying to make all of the deals that we heard about in the initial chapter of, of today's Bible class, it basically backfires. You've got attacks from the north, from the south, with basically the whole arsenal. And by verse 41, he comes into the glorious land. This is the promised land, the holy land. And things really get out of hand. The carnage is massive, and he has power taken away. The neighbors, Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, some of the same folks that we hear about in the book of Ezekiel, uh, because we've got Daniel and the, the overlap there. He's ruler of treasures of gold and silver. There's great wealth involved here. And it goes all the way over to North Africa, Libya, which had a great Christian history uh, before a lot of it was buried under the sand or destroyed by uh, the Muslims on purpose. But don't forget, the man who helped Jesus carry his cross was from a part of Libya. Many to destruction. And there we see again in 44, spiritual consequences for this king leading people away from the one true God. It's militarily disastrous. It's uh, physically disastrous. It's spiritually disastrous. He's pitching his tents. Think the, the rich Arab ruler who entertained uh, Ben-Hur in the movie. And, uh, uh, the rich feast and the racing of the of the horses and all of that ostentatious wealth intense, but he's cut off. The end has come. The uh, opposition that we've seen in the vision, almost all the way back to the beginning where we had the the man in the white linen, he's come to his end. 
unlike the parts of this prophecy that have already been fulfilled, uh, these things have yet to be fulfilled. It's difficult for us to make a one-to-one connection because, well, I mean, we're we're in the same position as Daniel, right? Trying to see what's going on without a full understanding of what it all means. Very true. And a healthy dose of humility is a really good idea here. It is possible for us to eliminate things that are untrue, things that we know can't be true based on our reading of the scriptures, and yet still have some lack of understanding of exactly how all of this plays out, even though we have seen the rise and the fall of the other empires that were mentioned in the earlier visions. Think about them. Babylonia, Medo-Persia, Greece, and right within Greece, that includes the Ptolemy's successors to Alexander, as well as the Maccabees and the Hasmoneans. But in the vision back in chapter 7, there was the terrifying and frightening beast that has been identified as Rome. That really gets left out of what we've been talking about so far in chapter 11. Why don't we include chapter 12 now? It's only 13 verses. I'd like to get all the verses out there, and then we can include them in the discussion. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Thus ends our text of the entire book of Daniel, including the one we're discussing today. 
So we see some hope in this section that we've now added. We've also seen some of the dangerous parts of Daniel. One of our earlier guests at the beginning of this uh, study said that Daniel is a dangerous book in two ways. One, it's dangerous because um, pagan rulers, unbelieving rulers, don't like the example that, say, Daniel and his friends and others demonstrate in this testimony where they resist man when his rules uh, interfere with God's command. But it's also dangerous for us Christians because of the esoteric and, and apocalyptic nature and the symbolic nature of the book. People like to take it and try to punch it into their conspiracy calculators and come up with all sorts of things that we are not meant to know. It seems like we get some more of that towards the end. But we have here Michael, the great prince, and you know it's uh, we've seen him before. In fact, this is one of only a few places he's even mentioned in the Bible. But uh, lots of stuff going on here. There is. Um, I want to say a special word to the listeners as a fellow listener, that verse 8 has always been very comforting to me in this chapter and at the in this ending vision. I heard, but I did not understand. There are times where we get to say, Amen, Lord, that's your word. I don't understand it, but help my belief. Uh, and let it be to me according to your word. So we do work with what we do know. And we last heard of Michael back in chapter 10, verse 13. We next hear about Michael very specifically in the book of Revelation. So if in listening to this text, following along yourself, you find so many parallels between John and the visions he was given, and Daniel and the visions he is given, and the shared terminology, well, I praise the Lord that it all fits together, and his Holy Spirit inspired both, and there's some holy borrowing between the two because there are some wonderful connections, especially the comforting language that we have in two and three. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. This is resurrection talk. Some to everlasting life, yes. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. But in a beautiful piece, I remember hearing a choral piece that was composed just on Daniel 12 verse 3, and those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. You mentioned the faithfulness of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the face of rulers who were prohibiting the worship of the one true God and promoting worship of themselves or false gods. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever is a wonderful callback to that faithfulness, how Daniel and the other wise men were a great blessing to the faithful remnant that eventually gets to go home under Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuild everything. But is that what Daniel's given to do? No. He's supposed to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. 
like you, I love that verse eight. I heard, but I did not understand. You know, just because we have access even to God's clear teaching doesn't mean that without the Holy Spirit revealing its meaning to us, that we're going to be able to discern it. But then even more, I like that he responds by saying, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He says, I heard, but I did not understand. That's what he's telling us. But then he asks the Lord, you know, well, what does this mean? And, and the Lord goes, or the, the messenger here goes, go your way, Daniel. That's <laughs> like, yep. you know, yep. Head on. That's it. Yep. So, it, it, but of course it continues, says, for the words are shut up and sealed to the end. That's in stark contrast to Revelation 22, where he says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. So isn't that amazing? Because what Daniel is looking toward the end of time is ushered in with the coming of Christ. And so Indeed. since Christ has come, the end is at hand. The end is indeed at hand. And we dare not forget that we have been in the latter days, the last days, since the ascension of Christ. You can take a look at all of the things that the, uh, uh, that, show up on a conspiracy calculator? Is that the phrase that you used That's earlier? That's the one I used, yep. <laughs> all of the things that they use in order to calculate, and all of that is meaningless because of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36. No one knows the day or the hour. Not too many years ago, there was a fella who had a radio network of his own, and he he did what you're not supposed to do. Um, he picked a day for the second coming and made a big, big deal of it on his show. It went out to all his radio stations. And I sent him a little note and I said, um, with all due respect, would, would you mind donating your radio network to our church body the day <laughs> after your prophecy? Because you don't think you're going to need it, and we've got way better programming. <laughs> of course, the day came, and he was proven false. Right. He, he didn't really repent, but he went and made another prediction. And that's not helpful to Christians. That's not helpful to non-Christians. In fact, it, it's a scandal, um, that sort of thing. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We've got shades of Jesus' promise in Matthew 16, 18 in these last verses. The time, times, half a time, if that sounds like revelation, you're right. Three and a half, half a seven, that holy number. Why the difference between 1290 and 1335? Both of them are essentially three and a half years, if days are days, and let's just call them days because that's the Hebrew word here. Some folks have tried to make something out of the 45 by going to an obscure chapter in Joshua 14 and a couple of verses there. But I think that's way too much of a stretch and would be testing the Lord's patience. When we run across things that we hear, we say amen. 
when we run across those things that we don't understand. I like Luther's advice, um, go on to the next tree branch and pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and shake that branch for a while. Right. And then come back to the other one. Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about the um, false prophet that you spoke of. You know, the sad thing about that too is this isn't, and oftentimes it's it's just sort of looms out on the fringe. But this particular person, who I won't dignify with the publicity, uh, he he brought so many along, and and so many people had sold everything they owned and were were dedicating their lives to basically spreading the message to bring others along, which is certainly a good Christian aspect. But Jesus Himself says the Son doesn't know. How in the world can we be so arrogant? as to assume that if Christ, our Lord, creator of the universe, uh, has hum humbled himself to not know the day, that we are somehow going to be able to figure it out. Indeed. And not that I'm in the business of giving advice to false prophets, but I've never understood why they don't put the date like way in the future so that they won't be proven wrong like, you know, three years later. But anyway. Yeah, I I tend not to give advice to false prophets either, except <laughs> repent <laughs> right. Repent of course. The pure word of God. Stick to your lane. Stick to your call. Stick to your vocations. There, be steadfast like Daniel. It's okay to ask the questions like he did, and it's okay to hear the answer go your way. Go your way and hold fast to the word. We can rest certain assured of God's care for us and all of history. It leads to Christ. It focuses on Christ. He has come and he will return. Now, you know, the absent a whiteboard on the radio, I think it'd be difficult for us to really drill down into these symbolic numbers, but it is correct to say that they are pointing forward to the return of Christ. It's just Indeed. it's not something that we can calculate in a way that's going to re result in a date. One of the things I love about when parallel things show up in the book of Revelation uh, in particular is to point out to folks, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John did not happen in that chronological order where the events of Matthew happened, and then the events of Mark happened, and then the events of Luke happened, and then the events of John happened. No, they're four inspired perspectives on the one event, the, the birth, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus the Christ, our Savior. In a similar way, when you see these similar numbers, a time, time, and half a time, um, three and a half years, the number of days in the book of Revelation, it's a clear reminder that that middle section of Revelation is telling the same story, perhaps with a different beginning point and ending point, but essentially the story of salvation with a great deal of overlap. And one of the clues to that overlap are these numbers. Yeah. Yeah, very powerful if one can get those things, you know, in their heads. And it is difficult, 
but it's at the same time indicative of a God who's trying, I shouldn't say trying, but a God who is purposefully condescending to us so that he can deliver a message to us in a way that we understand. The limitation is not upon God. It is certainly upon our ability to understand. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And 12 verses 12 and 13 say in Daniel, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Just um, knowing Daniel specifically, but all those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ, there is an allotted place for those who keep the faith at the end of days. Yes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes to prepare a place for us, for you. And verse 12, it's hard not to think about the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 blessed, blessed, blessed. That's good news. That's gospel comfort uh, for those who Jesus equips to watch and wait and pray and remain steadfast. There is more to life than this life, and we look forward to the resurrection of all believers at the end of days. Brother, we're toward the end of the program here, just a few minutes left. I'd like to give them all to you to share um, either a summary or whatever message of gospel you'd like with our listeners. Since it's Reformation Day, I'd like to share a hymn. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. Defend your holy church, that we may sing your praise eternally. O comforter of priceless worth, send peace and unity on earth. Support us in our final strife, and lead us out of death to life. Amen. Beautifully put. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Paul Kane, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Sheridan, Wyoming. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. I, I hope to have you on again. Sounds great. And thank you too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. Tomorrow is All Saints Day. We celebrate by, well, in part, by opening a new book, the Book of James. Throughout history, this book has well, created a little bit of controversy. It's sometimes misunderstood today. Even Luther had his own concerns. And yet it remains a precious revelation from our Lord about Christian living. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.